0: Hello fantasy and adventure fans! My name is Jess and this is CamCat Unwrapped. (music) You've been listening to Daughter of the Salt King by A.S. Thornton, which is the first book in the Salt Chaser duology. Today we have the author of this book, with us here for a virtual interview, and I'm so excited to get chatting with her. Alexandra, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to get to chat with you a little bit. Why don't we start by you sharing a little bit about yourself?
1: Um, So Daughter of the Salt King is my first novel. That uh, I joke that that's my side hustle is writing. Uh, My day job is being a veterinarian and also a mom to a toddler. Um, Oh my gosh. I live in Central California. I was born and raised here, and I love it. Oh, no kidding. What part? Sacramento is where I live currently. I was born in Fresno.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm from Monterey, so very familiar with the Central California area.
1: (laughs) You're a (laughs) nice (laughs) area.
0: Yeah, almost Bay Area. I have a friend from Palo Alto who's always making fun of me when I say that I'm from the Bay Area, so I never say I'm from the Bay anymore.
1: (laughs) right your central coast right
0: exactly well i know you're a veterinarian and also a mom it must be so busy for you to try and balance everything
1: it is i utilize nap times uh, very efficiently those that's when i get all my writing work other stuff done
0: wow i can't even imagine you must be super super busy all the time i'm so curious it's
1: okay
0: yeah <laughs> i'm so curious what is your connection to this kind of fantasy you know, very adventurous. I think you had even said to me that someone kind of compared it to Aladdin um, from Jasmine's perspective. What's your connection to, are you connected to that story at all or just the fantasy genre in general?
1: Um, A little bit of both. I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't love all things Disney. Um, You know, one thing I love about the fantasy genre is its ability to take you to other worlds. And so things like Aladdin, um, Middle East, or just things that are so very different from what I see every day, I find the most appealing because it's sure. just so fun. And and Daughter of the Salt King is in no way a Middle Eastern novel, but it's just, it's desert-based. It's so different than California. Um, and, and so I love that. And then I love taking these worlds that are different than mine and then adding magic or fantasy elements just to, you know, at the whimsy, so to speak.
0: Absolutely. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so you're a fan of all things Disney. I totally understand that. Yeah. Is there something where, <laughs> did you even realize that like, okay, this is kind of like similar story to Aladdin or was that at all like something you were thinking about or is that your favorite Disney story? What's your favorite Disney <laughs>
1: movie i guess probably a little mermaid little mermaid's my favorite um but that i'm not good at writing mermaid fantasy <laughs> fiction with that. cheesy uh you know i just really like the idea of genies and so that's that was probably as aladdin as it gets sure. um y- you know and so i think that's where people refer to it as aladdin that's where i sort of stole that as a you know adult aladdin um but yeah, otherwise, there's not really much relating to Aladdin. Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think exactly as you said, the, it, it kind of has the same air, but definitely more adult and definitely its own completely different story. But it's just yeah. so cool. I think I was imagining Princess Jasmine as a male as we were going through the whole right. book. I was like, I can picture this so clearly.
1: <laughs> um, which Right. So Maybe fun. if Aladdin was darker and uh, more adult. Maybe you get in the Daughter of the Salt King world. Sure. A well, bit. yeah. And like you
0: said, it's a completely different story. And it was so fun for me to listen to because we listen to the audiobooks here for the podcast, uh, uh, which is so much fun. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you said you love just the fantasy genre because you really feel immersed in the world and how it's a completely different world. Have you read other fantasy novels? What was your inspiration for making this specific book fantasy?
1: Um, So yes, I've read a ton of fantasy novels. Interestingly enough, since writing fantasy, I will not read it because I read it and then I just feel profound imposter syndrome. And so I don't even, I don't even go there anymore because I'm just reading it and thinking they did this so much better. This is so much better. I, why am I writing fantasy? Um, so I, so I don't read it now, but the reason this turned into a fantasy um, in particular is I, so no, I think everything I write will always have a, a, a love story in it because that's what I love is, is love stories. And f- fantasy I feel like you can really make it's just a beautiful backdrop for love stories to make it very epic and um you know make the emotional swings even more dramatic so you know a love story that takes place in a really barren desert uh, it's just the stakes are higher everything's more intense uh and I love I love that you know it's it's not just they can't see each other you know whatever but it's they can't see each other because there's sweeping desert between them or or whatever it is it's just it's just more
0: you know yeah there's like meat. some more <laughs> that's exactly what i was about to say more meat it feels like a little heartier <laughs> yeah but that's more heart wrenching yes that's so funny. It's so funny also that you say that you can't even read fantasy really anymore. I think we're all our own worst critics when it comes to like imposter syndrome and all of that super fun mm-hmm. stuff that I'm sure you, yes. there's so much to draw from in the fantasy world too. And oh, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so human mom yeah. and animal mom always. <laughs> yes. Extra, animal extra mom busy. Too. <laughs> Do you have other pets too?
1: Just cats.
0: I love it. That's great. Yes.
1: Yes. Catwalk across the screen and now he's sitting next to me. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Well, okay. So then are any of your characters, obviously, as you said, you know, takes place in a very different world from California, but is there anything that you drew from in your real life that inspired this story?
1: Uh, I certainly think that yes, in a very deep personal sense Um, the driving force of this book was the amazing ability humans have um, to be resilient and recover from tragedy. Mm. And, you know, I think everyone's gone through hardships that have changed their life. And I've gone through things that have, you know, been very traumatic and changed my life. And I look back on those things and see how far I've come. And it's it's just amazing and I w- want to show that in the in the book, in any book. So that's why the these characters are put through such extremes, because these are horrible, horrible things Amel, the main character, is going through. Absolutely. But look how she gets through it, because we all can get through it. Um we can all be strong and resilient. And uh, so, yes, in the sense that's the the heartbeat of the novel is our own personal, my own personal stuff that have, I've gone through. But otherwise, no, not like, oh, this character is based on my best friend sort right.
0: of thing. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> and what a strong message, too, to kind of center your story around, you know, perseverance, being able to just yeah. continue to push even through the really hard situations and, And I think that's such a relatable message as well. You know, everybody kind of has their hole regardless of how deep to climb out of. And um, I think that's one of the things that I know for me also being someone who's experienced whatever, you know, my own trauma that, you know, we all have. It was definitely something that I felt like she just kept pushing. And that was really fun and inspiring and just a great theme throughout the novel is she never gave up on the things that she wanted and, and her desire to be independent from the life that her father really wanted for her.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. And just to, yeah, it's, I hope that anyone who reads it can relate to that um, message of strength because it is easy. She could have chosen a path like her sister, you know, her sister's in the same situation and she sort of gives into it and lets it define her. um, And she doesn't wind up doing as well. And, you know, Amel, the main character, chooses otherwise. And it's, you just see the two different options. And we all have these choices that we're faced with day to day. um, And you can choose to persevere.
0: Absolutely. My mom, she'll appreciate me quoting her, but she always um, talks about stepping out of your discomfort zone. Because a lot yeah. of times we think the norm, the like typical things that we're supposed to be doing, is the comfort zone, but really we end up unhappy. So I think Amel was yes. a perfect example of stepping out of this discomfort zone, where maybe you know she could have followed the traditional path, sure. Um, you know, as you said, her sister did. She had examples. Right. Everybody had all this pressure societally for her to do that, but she would have ended up more uncomfortable, more unhappy. Right. So right. now she's forging her own path. And because of that, reaping whatever, you know, obviously it's a bigger risk and you can see how right. it does and doesn't pay off, but bigger reward. Yes,
1: exactly. Risk. Yeah. risk, bigger reward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So then, you know, you had said that you a lot of the story was informed by your own trauma, but was there other research that you had to do to kind of inform the path of the story? Was a lot of it just kind of drawn from your imagination? What kind of research did you have to do?
1: So a lot of it was drawn from my imagination. I My editor for Daughter of the Salt King, Cassandra, kind of uh, pushed me to look at... You know, areas of the world. Look at things that are, were historically relevant um, to feed the story a little bit. And so, one thing that I did do some research into, and it very, very loosely based on, but um, is is there really was a salt trade in the Sahara Desert? And salt was really the most valuable thing because you can't live without salt. Oh, wow. and um, so I told I just took very, you know borrowed just little bits and pieces about the salt trade and its and its intensity um, from history, but then kind of made, you know, took author liberties and made stuff up.
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah. That's the beauty of the fantasy fiction genres. Yes. as you can create, really create your own world. But that's so neat. I didn't know that about the salt yes. trade. That's really fun that you were able it's to. It's
1: really cool. Them. Yeah. You, you know, you just Google it and, and it's pretty amazing. There were caravans and they would go and Go to salt mines and it was worth you know, more than gold and it's just fascinating and oh my gosh to yeah. read about
0: yeah wow see my dad is from iran so i always feel uh-huh. so disconnected from persian culture because i never know these stories um he right. just doesn't share these kinds of background historical things with me you know i think he's just super americanized now but when he right. came here too it wasn't really popular to be foreign so people didn't embrace their culture as right. much so it's so funny to have to hear this from someone I'm not related to. <laughs> um, right. But that is so interesting. Well, it's definitely something I want to look more into now. Um, it's cool. So you said, you know, you were drawing a lot from your imagination. And, you know, there were these little historical tidbits that you threw in there. But this is really your world that you created. I'm curious, what was your writing process like?
1: For for Daughter of the Salt King, it was my first novel. I written from start to finish. So the writing process was very um, novice writing process. I sat down and I just sort of word vomited onto, you know, word vomited the manuscript. Um, Go figure that first draft was not great. (laughs) It needed a lot of editing. And so after I decided I really wanted to try to get it published in earnest, I went, read a bunch of editing books, um, you know, books that talked about plot and various things. And then I went back through and did a major overhaul and edited it and cleaned it up a lot. But for this one, writing process, nothing fancy. I would just sit down and write what I wanted to.
0: Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, I feel like, okay, that kind of reminds me of something that we've kind of been talking about with some of our other authors. Uh, Colin Holmes had said, you know, between being a planner and a pantser which is like someone who flies by the seat of their pants as yes. they're writing, he was definitely more of a pantser So we we loved that term here. So we've kind of been yes. using it. So it sounds like you were more of a panzer, just like let's get all of the words out, and then we'll go through and and refine it later. Yes,
1: exactly. And now since doing that, I, I've written two other books: the sequel to Daughter of the Salt King, and then I have this other manuscript I've written. Um, I am a planner 100% now. Yeah. Everything has been plotted out prior to me writing it. I don't even know how I wrote Daughter of the Salt King honestly because <laughs> I can't. Now I couldn't even sit down and write something without knowing where it was going. Um, so I've I've made a 180 degree swap.
0: <laughs> wow. Oh that's so interesting. And obviously you prefer this method because this is what you're sticking with yeah. now.
1: Yes, cuz I feel like Uh, You know, when I plot it, I can create the big swings and and the big twists. I can plan for them and set them up better. With Daughter of the Salt King, I mean, just those going back and essentially rewriting it and adding those things in, it was not efficient. Sure. (laughs) So, I uh, yeah, plotting is way more my style now.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a parent, but I would imagine that – being a parent now you are a little bit more of a planner by nature too. So that probably also (laughs) plays into that too.
1: Yes. I definitely don't have the luxury to sit down and just sort of write for hours and not know where it's going if i'm going to sit down and write i need to it needs to be very effective writing session i need to know where it's going and how this is getting done
0: sure so then by that metric when you were writing daughter of the salt king did you have an ending in mind that you wanted or was it just like here we go let's see where this goes
1: i think i always knew roughly how it was going to end um yes i knew how it had to end because i knew Amel's, you know, her biggest villain in this story is her father and the and the life he has set up for her. So I knew the ending had to be, how was she going to overcome this? Sure. Um, and then the little details along the way, I, I didn't quite have figured out, but.
0: Well, I think that it totally wrapped up so nicely and, and played together so well. That's one thing I was telling Gabe and have told some of my other authors too, that it's just so nice when I feel like, the questions that i have throughout the book like oh what's going to happen here how is this going to play out it all just like i feel so resolved in the end even if i have questions i'm like what's going to happen uh or yes. you know how is the the sequel going to play out it's always that kind of satisfaction of all of these things that maybe didn't seem to line up before suddenly are just all my questions are answered which is so nice that's good i'm glad that you felt that way yeah so i'm so i'm so excited i know son of the salt chaser is that one out yet or
1: Comes out, I believe, early November. I'm not sure the exact date, but it's the first week of November, I think.
0: Amazing. And I believe that this this interview will already be released. So you guys are kind of getting to hear first, all of our audience at home, uh, that Son of the Salt Chaser is coming very soon. Yes, um, it is. You had mentioned that you had done more writing. Um, mm-hmm. You have another book that's not related to the duology. And also you had said that this was the first book you wrote from start to finish. Is there other stuff that you didn't get to finish more writing that you had done before daughter of the salt King?
1: Yeah, I wrote, um, I, I almost finished it. It was before daughter of the salt King. It was a zombie story, uh, that took place on the coast, coast. I love horror, um, which daughter of the salt King has some darkness in it. I like just dark stuff. Um, but yeah, it took place on the coast of Seattle and it was kind of a zombie apocalypse and the guy lived on a boat and how he was navigating that life. Um, and and I still think the story is really cool. My husband keeps telling me to go back and edit it, but I can't even read it because it's just so <laughs> poorly written. <laughs> so I just have left it there. And then um, my other manuscript that I've written since Daughter of the Salt King um, I wrote it in between Daughter of the Salt King and Son of the Salt Chaser. It's a kind of ancient Egyptian Eurydice Orpheus retelling. So it's a a girl who, or she's a priestess whose lover, love interest dies. And so she goes to the ancient Egyptian underworld to try to bring him back. Yes. And I am super into that story. I've Once I've got time, I'm going to sit down and really edit it and then, you know, see if we can take it somewhere. We'll see.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I love that story. It was one of the stories that really stuck out to me in my folktales and mythology class in high school. So I'm excited to just, see where that goes.
1: Yeah, good tragic love story. I love tragic love stories that are make you sad and you're like,
0: oh my God, this is awful. I was about to say another real heart wrenching, devastating <laughs> yes. story. Oh my gosh. I, just, that's so oh, cool. I love those. And then have you seen Hades Town? The music? No.
1: Okay, so it is. No. You have not seen, do you know what it is? No, and I love musicals. So I'm just, like, I don't even know what this is. So tell me. Oh my me. gosh. Okay. So Hades Town. I actually just
0: learned about it and saw it for the first time, maybe two months ago. Um, it is uh-huh. a retelling of the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, but it's, um, it's the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, but it's like from a jazzy perspective. So the whole oh, musical is, is very like, ooh, like dark jazzy, ugh. Really, really cool. Highly recommend you check it out if you're interested in that story because it is I mean, that yeah, story I, on the stage.
1: I definitely will. That's I, yeah, I also love musicals, so that's easy.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Good, good, good. Okay, I'm glad that now you know. <laughs> yeah, me too.
1: Uh,
0: but you had talked before about how this all just came out of your imagination, and we were talking a little bit about that. So what was it like listening to the audiobook? And seeing mm-hmm. all of these, I guess hearing all of these things that you've probably been visualizing in your brain for however long come to life and and all of these names. I think you and I had talked a little bit about pronunciation too before I had listened to the audiobook mm-hmm. and hearing it all come to life. What was that like for you?
1: Oh, that was amazing. Probably the coolest thing yet that I've gotten to experience because Vanna, the, um, audiobook narrator, I let her, she's Iranian, I believe. Um, and I let her just pronounce the, the words I made up however she felt, you know, she wanted to. She did an amazing job with it. And something about the way she narrated it and listening to it, I would forget I wrote it. Or I'd be <laughs> sitting there and go, oh my God, I wrote that? That sounds amazing. And so That's it was so
0: great. super cool.
1: Because I <laughs> I felt like I got to listen to the book as a reader rather than as my own critic.
0: Oh my gosh. That must've been so fun. How awesome. Yeah. It
1: was, it was super cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not an author, so I can't relate to that experience, but I feel like hearing it through someone else's voice must, yeah. Give you that insight into what an audience member, what must feel like, what a listener must be experiencing. And that must've been, Oh, Oh, That's so heartwarming I yep. love to hear that
1: <laughs> you know and especially uh, as I already we talked about being s- such a hard um, critic of myself listening to that kind of gave me a little reassurance that oh maybe this isn't so bad I maybe sure. <laughs> I, I really did deserve to have a book published this actually sounds pretty good <laughs> I
0: I mean I thought so I was really t- completely enthralled in your world. Um, when I was listening. So it was really, really great. I did just remember my question from before yeah. um, when you were talking about your zombie novel. So again, is that another one that you were just like, here is something coming from my
1: brain. Here we go. Uh, we were actually in Seattle and I was looking out at the um, bay and looking at these people in boats and I thought, man, that'd be so cool to live on a boat during an apocalypse and (laughs) you can't go to shore because you're going to get killed and you have to just hunker down in this boat. And because boats, I love boats because they're kind of, they're calming, they're a refuge, you know, they just float on the, I I just love the idea of boats. And so that came to mind from there. And I remember we were, my husband and I, we road tripped up there from California. And so driving back the whole time, we were just talking about this concept for this story.
0: (laughs) That's so awesome. Wow. I love that. I love this idea that just popped into your brain as you were just checking out Seattle. Oh, zombies. Yeah. Wouldn't that be funny if we were stranded on a boat? (laughs) What would that look like? Well, this is my world (laughs) that I'm building. Exactly. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is so fun. So what made you think of zombies then?
1: I love zombie apocalypse (laughs) stories. I think they're so cool because it's A great survivor. Um, You know, I think we all love horror or anything that's a a challenge in a book because you sit there and you go, what would I do in that situation? And so zombie apocalypse, I mean, we all think about that, especially as a vet. The joke is always if there's a zombie apocalypse, you want a vet around because we have all the medical equipment and, you know, all the whatever. (laughs) And so it's constantly on vets' minds, zombie apocalypse. (laughs) We talk about it a lot
0: before. That's so funny. I have a friend who she's constantly also planning. She is not a vet, but she's also constantly (laughs) planning. How do I prepare myself for the zombie apocalypse? And she told me that the thing to do is to uh, go to a pet store and stockpile cat food as food. And I thought... I, you couldn't pay me to eat cat food I'm sorry but like even if my life was on the line and it was cat food or death I choose death no they do yeah. So, you know, now you have access, I'm sure, to not only all the equipment, but the food source. All the cat food. Yeah. Great.
1: So, you know, if you wanted
0: to incorporate cat food into your current zombie story, I'm sure it could find a place in there. Some of your veterinary skills would find a place in your zombie story. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We talked a little bit before about, you know, again, not inspired by Disney or anything that they've done, but... You know, it's nice to picture in your brain, you know, I had a very clear image of Amala's jasmine in my head as I was reading the or listening right, to the right. audiobook. Uh so if this were to be made into a movie, who would you cast?
1: That's a great question. Um, I've thought about that in the past. I've had people ask me that. When I'm writing this I, these guys don't really have features. They're sort of, sure. I know that Salim is tall and I know Amel is, you know, medium height, you know, medium build. I don't have a face for any of them. And when I try to think of a face, I get uncomfortable because it's not, it's not them. So I couldn't even think of an actor or an actress because it's, that's not Amel or Salim sure. or whoever. It's you know i will say for salim um good i think there was a photo of i'm totally blanking on his name um the the guy who i don't watch game of thrones so this is embarrassing the guy who plays drogo (laughs) Um, I cannot think of his name, but anyway, there's this really this shot of him with, he's got a scar through his eyebrow and, um, he has no shirt on and he's got his hair is in cuffs. And that was sort of, I saw it and I was like, oh this is a good loose version of Salim, but,
0: <laughs> um, Gabe not. is on the case. He's here with us in studio and he just typed in my little notes that we share Jason Momoa maybe. <laughs>
1: Yes, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I knew if I heard it, I, it would right. be right. I Yes, thank you. Good job, Gabe. Yeah, I know. He's on it. I was,
0: as soon as you were like, I can't picture his face, I watched Gabe over on the computer start typing. was yes. like, he's on it. I know I
1: said a part of the character's name, but any Game of Thrones person would have known exactly who I was talking about. Right. <laughs> I, so we got, we got it squared away. That yes, so but I, I don't think Jason Momoa is sawing but just there was that that, him as that character that was the closest I've seen like okay Okay. Um,
0: you know (laughs) I I could actually completely picture that as well I think that like kind of burly man's man kind of that like Oh, what are emotions? I don't. <laughs> well, yes, how do exactly. I process? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, although I think, as a person, what do I know about actors? I'm going to be completely honest with you. But from what I have heard, the the limited things I've heard is that he is much more sensitive than the man's man
1: stereotype. Yes, um, I suspect. I think he's got kids and stuff, so he probably has to be fairly you know? sure. <laughs> Yeah, but that's so funny.
0: Okay, I can totally, now that you say that, I can totally picture Jason Momoa as Salim for sure. Oh, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, I think, as you said, maybe because a cartoon character doesn't really have the nuanced facial features of an actual actor, it was easy for me to put, you know, Princess right. Jasmine as Amel. So I can totally right. see, yeah, the kind of like, oh, who would you even you know, as someone who's just exists in your brain, like who would even match this like faceless person in your
1: brain? Right. It's impossible to come up for me. It's impossible to come up with that. I'm sure there are authors who could list off every single person. But. <laughs> well, we
0: had our, an interview before, was it Christian Claver? Um, had a document with all of the people who he had in mind for all of his characters <laughs> Uh, And that was really funny. But you know what, something that you have been talking about, you know, as far as just creating these characters in your imagination, Mm -hmm. funny enough, reminds me of our conversation with Elizabeth Chatsworth, um, Mm -hmm. who wrote The Brass Queen, and something that she said that I feel like you probably might, at least to some degree, relate to, especially being such a busy person, um, is that she's never, ever bored because she's constantly Mm -hmm. living in her own head. Um, whenever she's sitting in a conversation for too long, she just starts thinking about Sky Pirates. So everything you're saying about, I just created this world of my own, makes me think Mm -hmm. you're the kind of person who would be like, how could you be bored? I'm a mom, I'm a vet, I'm an author, and (laughs) Sky Pirates, you know, I've got things going on in my brain.
1: It's funny you say that. I do that, um, less fantasy, but with people, clients uh, that I have with, you know, who bring their pets to me, they'll have these certain quirks about them or these stories that they share. And I'll I'll tell them, my God, that, that would be in a novel. Like, you (laughs) you, you know, your story could go in a novel. I have one client who, um, she used to be a cop and then she went to law school and now she's a well, now she's retired, but then oh and became gosh. a criminal defense attorney. Wow. And so to go from cop to criminal defense, I just think, oh, this is a novel. Like <laughs> you could make this so cool, but I'm not a good thriller, or, you know, cop, murder. That wouldn't be my genre, but still I think of that. Everything uh, you know. through the lens of an author. <laughs> yes, yes. I always am trying. I'm stealing people's tragedies and quirks and little things, you know, because yeah, that's Free, uh, free resources. <laughs> sure, why not? But you had also said yeah. that you're
0: really interested in horror and. Um you know, the, no. I mean, you said the zombies and uh, the, do you read those kinds of books as well? Or is that also hard yeah. for you to do because of the,
1: the? Oh, I can read more. That's no problem. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. I, I do like reading or I save that for spooky time of year. So nothing, none of that's being read right now, but, but it's, it's coming, coming up. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it can't come up soon enough. I love Halloween time.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Me too. Um, What books are you reading right now on the theme of books that you can and and can't read now as an author?
1: So I just started um, Kristen Hanna's The Great Alone. Again, because that's not fantasy. That's totally out of the genre I write. And she's a great storyteller. So I I just started that. I mean, literally, I think I started the audiobook yesterday. So I'm barely into it. Um, I did just finish a nonfiction book called The Upside of Stress by, I think her name is Kelly McGonigal. And that's a book that talks about how it just shifts the focus or shifts the perspective on stress instead of saying, Hey, stress is bad. You shouldn't be stressed saying, Hey, look at all the good things that come from stress. And that book truly changed my life. It was phenomenal. You know, i on my plate and I feel like I get stressed out and then I worry about the fact that I'm so stressed and I'm like oh god I'm so stressed out my life is so hard and I read that book and I just didn't care about it anymore I was like, yeah I'm stressed out but it's fine everything's gonna be fine and so it was amazing
0: (laughs) oh my gosh that's so great um so you listen to audiobooks as well it sounds like so it must have been extra cool then to hear your own words read to you when you were listening to the audiobook Oh, how fun. Yes,
1: audiobooks are easier for me right now because I can listen to them on the way to work or doing chores. Usually if I have time to sit down and read, it's right before bed, and then I'm reading for two minutes and I fall asleep. Sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I get that. I absolutely relate to that too. Audiobooks (laughs) are nice because you can passively do them, like, as you're driving places. I know Gabe and I talk about how we do that a lot. Um, So it's nice because it feels like you can give attention to it without having to, like, you know, have it sitting there yes. in front of you.
1: Right. Stay awake. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, okay. I have one more question for you before we wrap yeah. this up. Um, you know, we just listened to our, our listeners, just listened to the audiobook of the Daughter of the Salt King uh, through our podcast. And hopefully you guys are going out and checking out the audiobook too. If you missed it, uh, what can you, what kind of teasers can you tell us about Son of the Salt Chaser? Yeah.
1: So Son of the Salt Chaser in a sense is the whole backstory for why Daughter of the Salt King even happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So why, you know, we know Salim's a genie. Why is he a genie? You know, I think it's it's alluded to, obviously, in um, Daughter of the Salt King. But then why did that person make that choice to make him a genie? There's a ton of backstory. And so that's Mm -hmm. all going to get filled in. And for those who read Daughter of the Salt King that maybe were a little unsatisfied with the ending, I won't say why and spoil it, uh, there there will be a lot more explanation and hopefully uh, more resolution provided in Son of the Salt Chaser.
0: Oh, amazing. Well, that is very cool. And I'm very excited to get my hands on either the audiobook or the physical book. I. Yeah have been listening to the audiobooks because that's what we do for the podcast. But I love to to do both kinds of reading, the listening and the visual kind. So Gabe, take note. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think that's all I really have for you. But thank
1: you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun.
0: Amazing, and to the listeners at home, you can find Daughter of the Salt King and the sequel, Son of the Salt Chaser, coming very soon in audiobook, ebook, and print formats on our website, CamcatBooks.com. And you can listen to CamCat Unwrapped on all major podcast streaming sites, or you can watch us on our YouTube channel, CamCat Unwrapped. And make sure you follow us on social media at CamcatBooks. Thank you so much for tuning in and unwrapping another one of our books to live in with me. My name's Jess. And I'll see you guys next time here on CamCat Unwrapped.